Hello and welcome to Blue Royalty, a Londonist Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm Jess Mark Humphreys, joined tonight by Ollie Glanville. We have just watched a rather strange <laughs> Conti Cup quarterfinal between uh, Chelsea and Spurs, but a pretty competent victory in the end. Goals from, we think they're giving the first one to Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, and then Sam Kerr in a match where it was kind of obvious that both teams hadn't played in a while. And of course, there had to be a goal from Chelsea's ex. Drew Spence. <laughs> um, sorry, Beth England. Uh, Ollie, what did you make of the game? Uh, it was absolutely surreal, to be honest. But um, I think in the end, it was quite a professional job well done. <laughs> We're through. <laughs> yeah, I think professional is definitely the word. Um, Spurs are such a weird team at the best of times because they've obviously got lots of good individual parts, right? But it never like comes together a coherent whole. So I feel like you've always got these moments where it's like someone will make a good tackle or there'll be a good move and it like kind of freaks like the opposition out and then they're like oh no like there's actually not much um going on here but yeah definitely I think like strange is the word I feel like my standout thing was like you could tell both these teams hadn't played in a while yeah definitely um you know we'll get on to it but the the pitch was absolutely dreadful as well thanks Leighton Orient for that <laughs> I don't think there's any complaints about undersaw hill heating there it's more the potholes in the pitch but yeah <laughs> not exactly conducive to great football <laughs> yeah definitely um but yeah we are talking about the match against Tottenham that took place on uh well tonight for us probably t- yesterday for anyone listening on Wednesday the 25th of January in the Continental Cup at Brisbane Road Leighton Orient's ground which Spurs moved to at the start of the season 3-1 win to Chelsea um it, this this whole game I think has to be couched in the context of what happened on Sunday we didn't do an episode on Sunday because as much as I would have loved to break down six minutes of football, I did also then just get stuck in the southwest London area for quite a long period of time. Uh, but Ollie, this was a very similar lineup to the one that we we briefly uh, saw on Sunday. So just um, talk us through what you thought of the lineup. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we were both looking forward to uh, Jelena Chankovic, um, obviously in that 10 role. Uh, we were looking forward to see where sort of the pockets of space she was going to pop up in. And, and where she was going to fit in in our patterns of play. And that was sort of what we were most looking forward to. Obviously, um, Ev came in on the right as well. And uh, on the whole, she performed very well. Um, but yeah, so Shira Milosevic started in goal. Uh, Kadisha Buchanan, Millie Bright and Jess Carter at left back, who was good. Erin um, Cuthbert, who pretty much ran the show. Sophie Ingle, who um, did her job well. Uh, Lauren, who... We we were saying at times looks sort of bored, but <laughs> <laughs> when she wants to, she can just turn it on and become you know the player that we she, we know she can become. And uh, yeah, Guru, she had a sort of quiet game, but in her own way was still very creative. And Sam is her own <laughs> special player up front, um, can score absolute worldies, and then um, <laughs> get sort of confused as well. It's an interesting one. If I had to show an alien, like, a game that showed up, summed up Sam Kerr, it might actually be this one to a certain extent. <laughs> um, yeah, and and for Spurs, there's some definitely some familiar faces. Um, they had Corpola in goal, Amy Turner, Molly Bartrip, Shalina Zdorsky, and Karis Harrop in defence. Uh, Celine Bizet playing some kind of bizarre 
right wing role slash wing back role. Don't know what's going on there really. But uh, Drew Spence, aforementioned, Evelina Sumanen, and then Mano Iwabuchi, Beth England, and Rosella Ian. So yeah, three three ex Chelsea uh, players floating around there. Some more recent than others. Um, looking at the the Chelsea team quickly. There are two, I think, changes that were actually made for that Liverpool game, but I want to touch on because I thought it was interesting they were stuck with, and that is Musovic for AKB. Okay, it's not a change. Obviously, Musovic played against Arsenal, but I thought it was interesting that Emma, you know, stuck with her. I think deserved, but I don't know what you kind of make of that situation. I feel like every time I'm like, oh, there's a changing of the tides at Chelsea, it's like actually it just reverts back to AKB. But is this actually a changing of the tides at Chelsea? It's really tough to call, isn't it? You know, um, we we know the situation with Jusira uh, and, and her, her contract as well. And about the fact that every time she, she comes on or plays, it's like a co- kind of dress rehearsal for her becoming the number one. And obviously she is actually number one in terms of the shirt number. That's true. That's like her growing into it. But then AKB is AKB. You know, you never discount her. Um, but Zashira is getting a run of games now. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see. I, I do wonder if she would have started today had it gone through to 90 minutes, if that makes sense. If, mm. if that was like a conscious decision on Emma's part as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, she didn't have a lot to do today. But what she had to do, she did well. Um, in terms of sweeping up on a really bad pitch and spotting, uh, you know, patterns to start and her distribution out from the back was good. And look, we know she's still quite raw, and but she has a lot of talent. And, uh, you know, I think she probably deserves that, that contract extension. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, we've, we've spoken a lot about what a different player she kind of is from AKB in, in terms of how she goal keeps. And yeah, after the Arsenal game, it would have been very strange, I think, just to say, OK, like you kept, kind of kept us in this game, but like now sit on the bench again. Um, like This was one of those games. I was glad she did well in the Arsenal game because I always feel so sorry for her that she gets brought out for the games where she like never has much to do. This was a game where I think she just about had enough to do to be like, yeah, fair enough. Like she couldn't do anything about the goal. No one's saving that. Um, but then the other interesting thing as well, uh, which wasn't a Arsenal change. It was a, a change for the Liverpool game, but stuck with this, but was Jess Carter for Magda, Magda mm. Eriksson. Um Jess Carter, a left back. I mean, look, we know she can play all across that back four, really. I think she's probably a slightly more dynamic player than Magda. I think that would be fair to say. And in the warm-up for the Liverpool game, her and Guru were linking up really nicely. And I was like, oh, like, I'm really looking forward to watching this. And then that happened. Um, But do you think this is also a lot... You know, this is another one where contract is the big elephant in the room, I guess, um, but in the opposite direction. Is this yeah. a bit of, like, Emma being like, okay, you know, we've really got to start maybe bedding someone in if what might, like, could happen does happen? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's really interesting when you place it in that context as well with Magda. Um, what's What was so interesting today for me was that Jess was so consciously, like, dribbling with her left foot constantly and wanting to cross with her left foot constantly not as kind of two-footed as she as she usually is um and it was almost like look 
I'm playing left back and I will play left back like this. <laughs> but just or just on my left side. And then towards the end when we uh, we went down to 10 players, um, when she switched over to the right, she was all right footed. And it was like, look, this is me. I'm versatile. I'm going to fulfill your role for you perfectly. And like almost like a textbook um, sort of left back. But yeah, she's obviously far more progressive past the halfway line than Magda is. I think obviously um, until you get to the halfway line, Magda's still got that world-class defensive ability. But I think Jess, you know, she's still underrated in that capacity, especially one-on-one. And her pace, her recovery pace is something that obviously Magda lacked. So, you know, I thought she she put in a really good shift today, definitely. Yeah, and um, it was interesting, I thought, the way Spurs targeted that gap between Millie and Jess on the left with Beth England, looking at her running into that channel. I don't know whether they thought that was because Magda was going to play and maybe they saw it as like a slower area. Um, But really, aside from one kind of chance where Beth England got in behind and I think we were both convinced she was offside. Um, <laughs> there, like, there, there wasn't much joy for her to be had there. Jess had some great touches and, and she was she looked really good going forward one moment towards the end as well where um, she was maybe unfortunate like not to get an assist, basically. Um, quick look at some of the stats. I mean, this was a pretty dominant Chelsea performance. Uh, Spurs had six shots to Chelsea's 13, eight on target for Chelsea, three for Spurs. 61% possession with 84% pass accuracy to Spurs, 39% with 72% accuracy. 12 Spurs fouls to 11 Chelsea fouls. I mean, this we're going to come into this in a minute, but yeah, this whole pitch didn't make for um, a particularly like, nice game. Um, six offsides for Chelsea, zero for Spurs. I don't know what any of the lines people were doing in this match that there was some very strange decisions there and Chelsea six corners to Spurs is two so all in all Ollie I think when we look at the the stats this is just a game you know routine professional I think their words we're just going to keep coming back to right when we talk about this definitely I mean yeah you know obviously we had the the horror show of the pitch um <laughs> in the last not game <laughs> that happened but yeah today was playable just um and and there were moments of of real magic you know when we decided to play fast and uh through the middle it was there were some really impressive interchanges and some goals that would be goals of the month contenders really i'm I'm thinking of sort of um lauren james where she snatched at a shot um and then i think guru in the second half as well um, but there there were some wonderful bits of interplay, but they were completely ill-fitting in terms of like the pitch and the way the game sort of felt like it was meant to go, if that makes sense. And a lot of the goals, um, apart from the first one, which was Sam's, um, <laughs> so that was perfectly what I expected on a pitch like that. It's just sheer willpower from Erin to get it to cross the line there yeah but yeah the interplay at times was was really beautiful to watch and maybe that's sort of what we'll see over the course of the season when we play on better pitches yeah fingers crossed I definitely think there was a real like positive bent to the everything after the first half hour I'm gonna say um but we are gonna take a quick ad break thanks to our sponsors for supporting the show Quick bit of admin before we get some more into the game. Um, there is lots of cool merch. Mine arrived. I am drinking. I mean, this doesn't make... Ollie is the only person who's getting advertised to because I'm drinking from my 
London is blue mug, decaffeinated tea, it is 10pm, I'm not an animal. Um, but yeah, there's cool t-shirts, the hoodies are really nice and soft, I recommend it all basically. And also, we are on 96 five-star reviews on Spotify, so four of you listening who have not reviewed, you can be the people to get it to 100. Uh, let's go before we finally actually get round to play Liverpool on Sunday. We, we'll do it to manifest a non frozen pitch i don't know how that works but i believe in you guys um uh, let's frozen pitch is where i wanted to start this half actually because um i think today we saw something that's kind of not really been talked about much in this frozen pitch debacle because there's been lots of conversation about under soil heating and fans turning up and all of that kind of like very important stuff but there's also a problem right ollie when you have professional athletes preparing for a game in terms of the week, their warm-up, you know, going through the motions, playing six minutes of it, and then it doesn't happen. And I feel like we kind of saw that for Chelsea tonight, right? Definitely, and, and we've got to remember as well that uh, when we were training for that frozen pitch, we were training inside as well on sort of uh, 5G pitches as well, 4G pitches. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that sort of... <laughs> heralded what may have happened <laughs> before it happened um during the week but yeah it was clear that there was a lot of rust to kind of uh kick off um especially as you were saying the first sort of half an hour it was very bitty and uh scrappy really um both sides were sort of struggling to work through the pitch and and play sort of fluidly and it took a while for us to get those sort of interchanges working and passes working and we were sort of trying to play longer and then shorter and then out wide and just sort of trying to find any kind of pattern in. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was clearly not ideal today. Uh, but midweek was a whole different ball game. I mean, I think it's more down to maybe sort of the admin side of it. Like you can't come to a pitch in the morning and declare it unfit and then just think oh weather-wise it's going to turn up in England in January <laughs> like it's going to be Barbados in the next three <laughs> hours um, <laughs> because clearly either the referee is not from round there <laughs> or, or doesn't understand that that just doesn't happen and it will continue to freeze over so yeah I think it was uh, yeah a bit of a faff uh, midweek and hopefully it doesn't happen again. Yeah I mean so today they did a pitch inspection at two um, to obviously try and avoid what happened on Sunday, even though they did a pitch inspection on Sunday and clearly it wasn't fit and they just said to go ahead anyway. But um, yeah, I think this, the pitch tonight was not great. Um, again, this is just a problem that lots of clubs have. They share the pitch with other teams. Spurs play at Leighton Orient. Um, you know, we're obviously quite fortunate. Yes, the academy team play at Kings Meadow um but you know between us and them I definitely think the wear and tear on the pitch isn't as much especially when you combine it with the kind of quality that Chelsea bring in to to look after the pitch um but there was also a ton of rain uh in London just before this game kicked off and maybe into the game I couldn't really tell uh but I knew from people at the game that it wasn't very pleasant and I think you could just see <laughs> yeah potholes like in the pitch and it was almost like you know Chelsea were trying to figure out like okay we can't 
player. You know, I'm not talking Brighton levels because I don't think we'll see Brighton levels again this season. I hope we don't see Brighton levels again this season. Um, but this is just a, a problem that's kind of going to continue, Ollie. And I'm intrigued to hear what you think about. There have been managers who've come out. Obviously, Emma Hayes talked about like under soil heating, but she also then said today, like she's aware it's not very environmentally friendly, blah, blah. Jones Idevel was talking about, you know, there are more important things investments should go into in, in women's football. Where do you stand in kind of finding this balance between having surfaces that teams the quality of, you know, the WSL deserve to play on and also being like, look, there's limited geographical space, particularly in London, to play football on? Yeah, I mean, that's the reality. Um, <laughs> you know, London is one of the most over overdeveloped cities in Europe, definitely. Um, but the the thing I, I I found really interesting was there was a lot of outcry about uh, our pitch in particular, and it's like, well, we we've actually taken the pitch at Stamford Bridge and regrown it at, at Kings Meadow, and that was for the academy and for women's football. So that was a big investment at the start already to to get that sort of carpet. So for the vast majority of the season outside of winter <laughs> um we you know that pitch is is very very playable and probably one of the better pitches in the wsl i would argue um when it comes to undersaw heating i i just think if we did it if if chelsea women did it and other top clubs didn't then you'd face exactly the same issues i think um what needs to happen is there needs to be a blanket introduction of undersoil heating. And that would help things like the planning process, which is, I don't know if you've <laughs> ever been involved in any building work in, in a major city, but that is a, that is a key issue here. You know, we're not talking about some place in, in the, in the sticks. This is, you know, uh, central well, Southwest London and, <laughs> you know, you need planning permission there. So we would need the backing of someone like the FA or whoever uh, to come in and say, look, we across the board need undersaw heating in the top division of women's football. And I don't think that's that's necessarily a bad thing at all. But equally, we're seeing pitches like today that, you know, may have better facilities because they because <laughs> because they're run by, you know, a, a EFL club, but equally the pitch is not up to scratch. And that's because it's playing at, you know, League One levels rather than what we consider to be a carpet at WSL levels. So there's there's a lot of sort of variables here. And I think there needs to be a sort of blanket minimum viable product introduced by the FA to say, this is what we expect. And, you know, maybe it will need to contribute something towards the teams that can't afford that. But I would say that the vast majority of the WSL could uh, conceivably afford to add to their facilities and women, you know, investing in women's football is a massive part of all this and is a massive part of the future of football in general. So I think that should be welcomed. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, the FA stipulate a large amount of things around licensing to be part of the WSL and that's a whole separate conversation because in the past it's been very controversial. You know, that's part of why you see Manchester City in the WSL because they were able to provide things that other clubs weren't and other clubs lost out on a licensing basis, not on a footballing basis. Um, we can debate the merits of that, but the fact is, is the, the FA have decided to set standards and currently 
kind of pitch quality isn't really one of them, whether you're talking about understore heating or, you know, even other things about it. And and maybe it does it does need to be going forward because, yeah, exactly like you said, this game could have been the game at King's Meadow. It could have been, you know, anywhere in the, the south, basically, um, or even potentially in the north. I know obviously games there were, were more able to go on, but like it could have been called off. So it doesn't help you if only one or two teams do it in the same way that right now, you know, Leicester play at the King Power most of the time, so they're fine. Reading play at the Majeski, they're fine. City have undersaw heating. It, it, you still get problems because that's only three teams from a from a 12-team league. Um, but let's get away. I've spoken way too much about grass this week, so <laughs> let's speak about let's speak about football. Um, I think something that we were both really interested in about this game, Ollie, was was the midfield and and how Chelsea were kind of. I don't want to say adjusting, but because these players have played together, but it definitely felt like we were starting to see some slightly different relationships forming, particularly between um, Aaron Cuthbert and Jelena Kankovic. Um, talk to us about what you saw. Definitely. Um, we, we were commenting that it was quite, I would say adapt, adaptation is a really good word for that. It's It was almost like we were experimenting with with a kind of new idea of rotation. So in the sort of inside right and inside left spaces where you'd usually consider people like uh, Penilla Harder or uh, Lauren James to to sort of cut in and, and be that inside right or inside left forward threat, you saw um, our midfielders dip into there instead. And we sort of had a, a sort of 2-10 situation where Erin and Yelena were sort of rotating constantly and Erin, I mean, she basically had a twin on the pitch <laughs> at the time. She looked like she was owning our defensive third and uh, counter-pressing at the same time up front, which was, uh, I mean, Erin is Erin and she's brilliant. But um, yeah, it was really interesting to see how wide Erin was popping up. She was almost becoming like a second winger at times or like a uh, popping into where... Um, Ev would be um, on the right wing as well. And then as soon as they switched over, um, Yelena was then on the inside right channel. And you think how, you know, effective she was against Arsenal with that last minute equaliser. She's going to be really dangerous from there with her with her left foot. So there was clearly a plan being worked on there. I don't think it was the pitch to, to do it on, as we've discussed, but we'll stop talking about grass. Um, <laughs> there, there were clearly like positional instances there that Emma was really, really keen to set up. And there was a sort of a, a few teething pains between Erin um, and Guru on the left-hand side that I think they were trying to work out uh, which space to occupy. But when Erin took control of that left side, um, as she did on the first goal um, from the throw-in, it was, you know, it was quite clear that once you give Erin that space to move into, obviously she's she can be devastating. And on the other side, you had Lauren and Yelena um, with Ev pushing on as well, becoming that threat, which was useful. And I, I think... Yeah, we saw glimpses of maybe a more expansive use of that midfield, maybe not tethering Erin so much to Sophie as we saw um, for the most part of the season so far, where she's had to sort of cover and be that kind of uh, yo-yo off Sophie, uh, being that kind of um, prowling menace that we know she can be. And obviously, 
Erin is that anyway. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see her get more freedom today and rotating with Yelena in those 10 positions. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, for much of the season, we've kind of seen Erin play a sort of all-action eight role. Uh, and this definitely was seeing her get more advanced. I mean, for the first goal, it is like the perfect example of how... Emma obviously wanted them to use those half spaces, in this case the left half space, with Guru. Although I will say, I don't know why Spurs give Aaron Cuthbert any time on the ball anymore. Like, the whole lead up to this game was just like the Chelsea Twitter admin posting like ridiculous Aaron Cuthbert bangers. I was like, it's inevitable she just scores bangers against Spurs because just for some reason they always give her so much room. And to be fair, this time she was in the penalty area and maybe they were like, it's fine. Erin Cuthbert only scores when she's outside the area against us. Um, but yeah, and then Sam Kerr kind of like sat on the ball to to confuse Corpola and help it go in. Um, but it was a lovely little um, one-two. And I thought what was really interesting as well, Ollie, was it wasn't only that they were taking up those positions, but they were playing really vertical passes into the penalty area from those positions. And that's when we were seeing um, other players kind of come around, whether it was... Guru or Lauren kind of come round the outsides and it it felt like it was really just bamboozling Spurs that this and it is true you know I've I've seen actually Tim Stillman talk about it before and it is like kind of a classic Emma Hayes goal that you know normally Chelsea kind of like to drive to the edge of the penalty area play it out wide drive to the byline and then get the ball in and it felt like this was like a totally different kind of verticality that we don't normally see from Chelsea yeah and as you say I think that really caught Spurs out it was like hold on you're not supposed to do this you don't drive into the box like this you don't have vanilla harder on the left hand side what's going on um but yeah it was it was a kind of it it did feel very errant to sort of take that burden of responsibility on and say look Guru, I'm going to give it to you out wide, make this space for me, and I will drive into the box and just by sheer willpower, just force it in kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it was it was really interesting to see that we were employing Guru and Lauren almost as wide as like wide forwards almost. And they were playing more back to goal at times as well, which was which I found really interesting as well. Obviously, Sam has so much freedom, as we know, and we'll get onto Sam's game as well. But that kind of interplay uh, out wide and with the marauding uh, fullbacks, because at times Ev was our furthest player forward, <laughs> which was quite interesting. Um, but that kind of that kind of um, positional rotation out wide was was really fascinating to watch. And maybe that's the sort of plan B against more low block teams, even though Spurs weren't doing that much today. But maybe that's the kind of plan B of when you're up against a really stout defensive force, you bring your midfielders really wide and further up and then play those wingers as kind of uh, extra forwards as well around Sam so she's not so isolated. And I think, you know, that's what sort of caused the havoc for the first goal. And um, again, what I would like to touch on is that it's another really clever, quick set piece you know, we that throw in was a quick throw in, and it caught, um, I think, Ian on the on the hop, um, who was trying to cover Guru, and then that created the space, and the same thing happened um, on Sam's goal. So again, it's it's so interesting that we seem to train, we seem to train for those those real sort of niche moments of, 
you know, little 1%, 2% in our favour. And we've done that three times now this season. And if we continue to do that, then it will pay off in really big moments. Yeah, actually a really funny, that just made me think of a really funny moment was um, Sophie got injured in the first half and Je- the ref called for <laughs> for a free kick and Jess played it before Sophie had even got out and she was playing like back. But you could tell Sophie was a bit like, what the fuck, like, I've hurt my foot. Like, can you give me time to like get up? Because I've actually hurt. And I guess when it was that thing of just being like, no, we go. Like, if it's a dead ball, we like we go and we we don't let them set. Um, yeah, I think also it was a bit like telling about Spurs's the way Spurs had set up their midfield because Evelina Sumanen and Drew Spence, you think, are quite like a heavy midfield. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, kind of the argy-bargy, like Aaron Cuthbert was living her best life for that. But because they were playing Mane Iwabuchi as a 10, it was almost like Chelsea were just like, fine. Like, Sophie could just deal with that. Like, she's not worried. Um, obviously, Iwabuchi's just come into that team as well. And, you know, she's not a kind of player who's really going to force the issue anyway. Um, I think it's the kind of thing where you've got to find that balance, right, between the kind of midfields you're playing up against. But this Spurs one was actually a really perfect one to to try it out against. Um, I just want to touch on on Eve as well, because I thought it was really interesting, as, as you said, like she basically had that whole right flank to herself because Lauren James was tucking in so much. And she had that amazing shot in the eighth minute. I thought she really deserved to score because she just hit it so sweetly. Um what what do you make of her like kind of position within this Chelsea squad right now? Because I feel like every time we see her, she gives like good without being great performances. And I can't quite figure out where she is, you know, within that the standing of the squad. Yeah, I think what well, it's, it's sort of like six, seven out of ten most mm-hmm. games she plays. Um, I think. You touched on it before, but it was really interesting that she came in for Neve as well, um, for this game in particular. Um, what's, what sort of struck me is she really took advantage of that space down the right, but then the decision-making like right in the final third uh, let her down at times. And that's something that when you, you watch her for France or in France, she was like really great with. So maybe it's it's a kind of still still getting used to that sort of who who's the best person to pass to because obviously there's this like immense amount of talent in the forward line she's sort of trying to work out which is her best sort of um forward to plow in terms of like uh who who can I link up with best here and obviously in, in this game she had Lauren to work off and that created loads of space for her and she did have the set piece deliveries but for some reason, for a lot, a lot of the time, which is unlike her this season, they weren't very great today. Um, but she did take advantage of of the space in behind. And she there are a couple of really nice moments of her on the dribble as well, which is something she's not really shown as much as I expected her to this season. And maybe she can then take the kind of confidence of beating two or three players at a time like she did today, um, which I thought was really interesting. She didn't take the safe option a lot of the time, which was nice. She did um, some nice progressive passes. Even when faced with two or three defenders, she was like, no, I'm going to take them and I'm going to do this. Um, I want her to take that confidence on with the dribble because that I think that's why Neve is starting. And I think that's why Emma places so much 
um, onus on Neve because she's just got that attacking dribble down and that progressive play because obviously she, she started as a winger and is essentially still a winger when she plays for Chelsea. So that's that's what sort of that's what Eve has to aspire to almost. She has to be as progressive, if not on the dribble, then by uh, through her passing. Yeah, and I think as well it it just shows because that right hand side is so essential for Chelsea, especially when whether it's Magda or Jess, it's effectively a centre back playing as your left back. You know. It is about kind of dropping to a, a three uh, in possession. You're not necessarily pushing everyone forward. So there's a lot of pressure on whoever is on that right back to get forward, um, to push up the pitch, to make the most of the space as well. And, you know, I think it's interesting, especially when you've got Lauren in front of you, because she's so willing to track back if you want to make the runs. I mean, today against Spurs, because they're kind of toothless, we saw Lauren just tucking in and like letting Eve deal with it. But, you know, we've seen her in other games that if... The right back wants to go forward. Lauren will drop back and, and we know how good she is on the ball, um, both, you know, kind of physically in terms of winning the ball back, but also on holding on to it in tight spaces. So it works really well. And I think that's the key. That's what we're still still waiting to see. And to be honest, I think we're still waiting for it from Neve as well. So like, that's why I can't really pick between the two because I think Neve's in the same kind of boat where it's like, it's a lot of six or sevens out of 10. I'm going to take the Arsenal game out of that because she struggled for that one. But, you know, other than that, I think it's like broadly fine. Um, and we're just waiting to see maybe which one of them, or ideally both of them, can really take that that role to the next level. Um, but we'll take another quick ad break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about Sam Kerr because she just made me laugh so much tonight. Um, yeah, this was, I've written Sam a chaotic best as part of this script, uh, just because it was one of those games where if we'd lost it, or I'd been so frustrated with her. Um, but I also want to use this as an opportunity to talk about how she links up with different players because something that I thought was really interesting is it felt to me like it was no coincidence that when Fran Kirby came on it felt like Sam relaxed and I think what we saw kind of in the first 60 minutes of the game was a player who maybe felt like there was a lot of burden on her still to get things done um, to like really put the work in and then when Fran comes on it just feels like Sam's a bit like oh she's here now like that's good and that's like not to diss like the other attacking players because obviously they're all fantastic attacking players but I don't know if you just get the sense of that their relationship is so strong together they like Sam just believes that you know when Fran's on the pitch like she's gonna give her it's not just one opportunity she's gonna get it, it's two or three and we saw that in the last half hour because you know she still missed a couple before she got her actual goal goal if we're not giving her the first one potentially definitely um I think what people who may not have been to King's Meadow or, or live uh, may not know about Fran is she's very vocal <laughs> so she will shout at you if, if something's going wrong or if you know if the intensity is too low or whatever people associate that a lot with Erin and obviously you know that she is the main proprietor of that but um Fran is is very similar in that way she will shout at you she will force things to happen and I think when she came on as you say it's almost like the sort of handbrake went off for Sam and there were, were a few chaotic moments. And I think the amount of back heel she tried in the last <laughs> 45 minutes was like a sight to behold at times. 
Um, and that, and that's great. Like we do want her to try those sorts of things because when they come off, they're magical. And there were there were moments of magic in this game. And her finishing um, for the last for the for her goal or her second goal um, <laughs> was beautiful. Um, but what I would say is, yeah, that, that kind of link up with Fran is is telepathic. So we already have we already know, and she already knows that she will get those chances. And so when she drifts off the left-hand side, she knows she will be played in and she doesn't have to worry about holding her run like she would with, say, a Yelena or you know another player that she doesn't link up with um, very often. So maybe that's what sort of caused the tension in the first half, that she didn't have a Fran behind her or a Penilla or you know maybe Erin being so far forward for her game. But it's that it is that kind of link up, and I do always say um, that that relationships on the pitch are so so crucial. And as you're saying, you know, we know what Kirby is, right? Um, we know that it took us all the way to the Champions League final, and hopefully, it does again. But the reality is that we do need to find these relationships. Um, again now because Fran can't play every single minute this season and I think what was so interesting about the first part of the season is that we saw the link up between Lauren and Sam and I think they have a very kind of similar vibe in terms of (laughs) when we're playing well um, sometimes they do get bored and try things but because they're such brilliant spectacular players those sort of trying things come off often and that's that's something that we can really use to our advantage as well. But it was very noticeable that when Fran came on, the intensity lifted and Sam made herself more available almost uh, in terms of being that kind of finisher rather than trying to be involved and build up all the time, which she, we know she can do as well. But it was more like staying on the last line and making sure she was in positions to score. Um, and maybe not as chaotic as it was before Frank came on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting one because I think there's obviously an element of, of game state here. You know, Fran comes on, there's half an hour to go. Spaces are opening up because players are getting tired. Spurs are ostensibly, although they didn't, they didn't look like they were trying very hard, but ostensibly looking for an equaliser, I guess. Um, and I think, you know, we saw Fran really exploit those spaces. But not only that, I just think she's, she's such an exquisite finisher and and the goal she scored was just the perfect example of that and I think you know no matter how many quality players Chelsea bring in there is still no finisher that I love watching as much as Fran um you know I was astounded by her chance at the end that she didn't just hit it first time because I'm so used to just seeing her um just put those in the back of the net because she's normally so good. But, you know, she took the touch and it didn't it didn't quite work out for her. Um, but I just feel like that also, it lifts a lot from other players because you just think, you know, we're talking about Sam getting chances, but you just think, oh, if Fran gets a chance, you know, uh, around the kind of anywhere in the penalty area recently, you you back her to, to put it in the back of her net. I mean, her, her scoring... Uh, figures this season like for minutes played have really gone under the radar I think um, I think she's on five goals in WSL one of which is a penalty but you know it's really not bad given how much she's how many minutes she's played 
And I think it is really interesting. I guess maybe that's one of the things that I really hope we can build up on in February, I guess. Like, we've got a bit of a weird month coming up, I think, in terms of fixtures and there's a big international break. So you don't really get a chance to get into the rhythm of things. Um, but, you know, March is, like, going to be crazy. Um and I think to be able to use these kind of three games we'll have now before the international break to really think about those relationships between Sam and other attacking players. Because I what I really have enjoyed is what we've shown in the two games we've played since the start of the new year is that Fran doesn't need to start them for the team to get it done. And if you can add her as the sprinkling on top, that's like fantastic you know and I know against Arsenal it didn't necessarily feel like she made as much of an impact potentially as, as Kankovic or as Perisic but I guarantee you that the Arsenal players were like freaking out that Frank Kirby was on the pitch and that will have made a difference because it's just like a ridiculous quality of player to be able to bring on and I think it lifts the team and like you say like it's her standards like she has the most incredibly high standards and you just wouldn't necessarily think it in some ways because she's like small basically um and she seems quiet but yeah like high standards for herself high standards for the team and I think she really lifts everyone and I thought yeah I know we kind of started talking <laughs> about this about Sam but we're talking about Fran but I just think Sam's performance was a perfect example of like what having Fran on the pitch does it's like it lifts and relaxes people um and I think that's a really special special thing to have um but in the meantime sam keep up with the back heels like i love it it's just so funny <laughs> it just is really really funny um also just classic as well like straight off the back okay not straight off the back like 10 days off the back of scoring this like ridiculous like equalizing goal at the Everett's against arsenal and there she is like no idea where the goal is like for the first 70 minutes of the match <laughs> unless she sat on the football so um but yeah there we go that's our um ridiculous ridiculous striker who scores lots of goals uh right let's wrap up this match chat uh so we can head off to bed um because we've recorded this straight away so you can hear it nice and early player of the match ollie who are you going for i think it has to be aaron cuthbert um, that's who just... i was gonna say <laughs> yeah it's a good I think it has to be Aaron. Um, just just sheer force of personality. It's very similar to Fran, that when she's on the field, you just feel at ease. You just feel like she will win you the ball. She will create chances. She will not back down from any challenge, even if it's her best mate, Drew Sprentz. You know, <laughs> she's just flying on anyone. Um, and she will come out with the ball, um, and usually unscathed, thankfully. Um, so <laughs> it's it's wonderful to watch. She is still, in my opinion, underrated somehow um, in, in the world of football. Um, and for some reason, long may that continue because she's ours and she's brilliant. But yeah, um, I just think, I, I just love watching Aaron Cuthbert play football. Yeah, I mean, I will co-sign all of that. I thought she was really standout today and she made a game that I think could have been harder than it it was 
like she made it look very easy because of the amount of ground she covered in midfield because um, she didn't give Spurs any time on the ball. She didn't give them the opportunity to even think about going forward. And I think that's the kind of player who can go like under the radar. I know like we do talk about Erin Cuthbert a lot and she gets a lot of praise, but it's that player who makes things easier for everyone else because of the work they're putting in. Um, and, you know, like we've kind of said, Spurs have good players. In fact, I looked at this lineup and I was like, oh, this lineup's like fine. They're not very good at using them well, but, you know, like they're players who, we saw it with Drew Spence's goal, right? They they only need one moment of quality. That's what the level they've been able to buy to. Um, and I think, you know, the way Aaron performed meant that, you know, that one moment of quality didn't come until the 94th minute and it didn't matter because we'd already scored three goals. So that was good to see. Um, all right, coming up. Chelsea are going to try and play Liverpool again at Kings Meadow on Sunday, one o'clock in the FA Cup. Not entirely clear on whether that's going to be on TV um, or whether Chelsea are going to show it or what's going to happen with that. Uh, but we shall see. Then we are back to Brisbane Road the Sunday after Sunday, the 5th of February. That's a lunchtime kickoff. Let's hope the pitch is looking a bit better by then. Um, then it looks like we're not playing until March, but that is not true. We will have the Conti Cup semi-final on either the 8th or 9th of February. The draw for that is tomorrow. That is probably your today um, on TalkSport in the UK, I believe. And I don't know why you'd want to listen to a draw on TalkSport. I mean, I might. So, but, you know, it will just be on Twitter once they've figured out who we're playing. Uh, there is also the excitement on the 10th of February of the Champions League draw. So that's one to keep an eye out for too. Ollie, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Anytime. Perfect. Lovely. Um, all right, Chelsea fans, uh, we'll be back soon. But until then, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>